Uh, we're back. We're in the book of John. Last time, uh, two weeks ago before I left, I preached uh, on probably the most quoted verse in, uh, in Scripture, John 3.16. And we left there, and, and so now we're going to complete the third chapter of John. And this is kind of interesting. Jealousy in the church. Uh, does that ever happen? Do we get a little jealous? Do we have, oh, we just have the best church in town? Or, or if you don't go to our church, you don't know what's going on? We can get a little bit, or, well, how come that church over there, God's blessing that church and things are happening over there, and it's not happening with us? And we kind of go, what's going on? Well, we're going to see in this chapter, in the rest of this chapter, a little bit of conflict between the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Jesus. And, and John the Baptist was an amazing preacher. I mean, this guy is good. I mean, people came from all over the place to come out into the wilderness and hear this guy preach. And he was baptizing all kinds of people. And he was, he was really exciting to go see. And his disciples that were following him, you know, he kept telling them what? I'm not the, I'm not the Messiah. See that guy over there? See Jesus? He's the Messiah. But he was so good at what he did that people didn't want to leave him. They wanted to hear John. Matter of fact, uh, his following followed well into the start of the first church. He had people that were his disciples that had left, uh, left Jerusalem after Jesus died and resurrected. They left Jerusalem and went out and was preaching the gospel that John was talking about before the Holy Spirit came. And one of those guys was a guy by the name of Apollos. And Apollos it was an amazing preacher in and of himself. And in Acts chapter 18, it tells us about him. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. He hadn't been around when the Holy Spirit came. He wasn't around when Jesus ascended and said, hey, wait, and, and the Holy Spirit's coming. He was so exciting about preaching Jesus that he left before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 19 it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. That's where Apollos had been preaching and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they just said to him, We don't even know. We, we haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, 
well, into whose baptism were you baptized? And he said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, even well into Paul's third missionary journey, Apollos was preaching the baptism of John. That's how widespread John preaching was. How amazingly um, powerful that he was even, and when they talked about Apollos, it talks about him being trained and accurately sharing the scriptures, accurately sharing about Jesus. That's was what was happening. John was an amazing preacher. And so we come to John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. And let's see what, see what this dynamic is. <coughs> After these things, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judah. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing them. John was also baptizing in Aon near Shalim because there was much water there. And people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who, who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourself are my witnesses that I have said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy is mine has been made full. I must, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is, of, is from the earth. And speaks of the earth, but he who comes from heaven is above all. What we have seen and heard of that, he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who receives his testimony has set his seal on this that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. And the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. A little bit of jealousy. A little bit of jealousy by those who should have known better, right? Because who was John pointing to? Jesus, and he would tell over and over. 
he would tell his disciples, don't look at me. Look at him. Look at Jesus. He is, and the first description he uses is what? Of a wedding. Now, in the wedding, where is everybody supposed to be looking? They're looking at the bride, right? But they're also looking at the bridegroom, right? And that bridegroom, you know, usually they stand about right here and they're looking down that aisle. They're waiting for the bride to come. And he says, that's the center of attention. He says, the best man is not the center of attention. And I'm the best man. I got the greatest job in the world. I get to just stand over here on the side and hand him the ring. I don't have to remember anything. I don't have to say anything. But I can point to the bride and the groom. And he says, Jesus is the bridegroom. And there's all kinds of illustrations throughout Scripture where Jesus talks about the bridegroom, right? He tells people to be waiting for the bridegroom. Is that what we're supposed to be doing right now? He's coming back, right? The bridegroom has been away. He's preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's making everything ready. And he, and he told the, the story of the ten virgins standing outside holding the lamps. And five were ready and five weren't. He says, be ready because you don't know when he's coming. He's coming like a thief in the night. But jealousy got a hold of these guys. He said, but you're the best man. You're, you're an amazing preacher. Why should we follow Jesus? Well, because he's the bridegroom. He's the one that I've been telling you about all along. And a matter of fact, unfortunately, John's going to get taken out of the picture by being beheaded. What a way to go. Wow. But he was, the, he was pointing people to Jesus. And jealousy is nothing new. We just did Genesis, right? We started out in Genesis with Cain and Abel. My offering wasn't as good as yours, so I'm going to kill you. The green-eyed monster, right? We, even, we finished up the book of Genesis with a guy by the name of Joseph. And his brothers were so jealous of him, they threw him in a pit and then sold him off. But God had different plans for him, didn't he? But that jealousy was still there. Matter of fact, that jealousy was so bad that that when their father died, they went and pleaded to him, don't kill us. Because you, you, they thought he was going to. Jealousy has been around, and is it in the church? Absolutely. You know, we can get so tied up with, this is our church, right? That we forget that there's a thing called the church with a big C, right? That is the body of Christ, and it's made up of all different denominations, oops, I said the D word. <laughs> Other churches that, that may believe a little bit different than we do, but they preach the gospel. And we say, well, we, 
Yeah, but they do some of those funny things. You know, they raise their hands. Oh, no. Right? We can kind of get hung up on the little things. And in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about this. 1 Corinthians 3, it says, For since there was jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are not they mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth so that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward to his own labor, for we are fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Isn't that awesome? Because God works in so many different ways. I'm certainly glad that there's different kind of churches that do different kind of ministry, that draw different kind of people, and we work together. And you know, it's going to be kind of interesting when we get to heaven. Because some of us have a little few pre, pre-notions up here, preconceived ideas that, of who's going to be there. And we're going to get to heaven and they're going to say, oh, there's that, there's that Baptist section over there and there's the Presbyterians. And, you know, we're going to be surprised by who's in heaven. Because it's the big C. It's the church, and we have to be willing to step into together to preach the gospel because we're going to reach people in different ways, but God is the one who gives the increase. He's the one who does the work. I remember when uh, Larry Gaskin was here. How many of you remember Larry? Larry, Larry was here a few years ago as an interim pastor, and, and uh, I remember one specific message, and I absolutely loved it. And he said this, keep the main thing the main thing. Now, what does that mean? That means Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and is now in heaven waiting for us. That's the main thing. You see, we can get sidetracked by this ministry or sidetracked by that ministry, or we can get sidetracked by doing some really good things, but we forget the main thing is the main thing. It's all about who Jesus is. And and John... The writer of the gospel, he's going he's gonna to share with us four things that makes Jesus the main thing. And I want you to look in verse 31 and we'll see the first one. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. The first thing is that Jesus is above all. 
Jesus is above all. Now that's a multifaceted piece here. Because number one, physically, where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. What's he doing? He's preparing a place for us. He's been preparing a place for 2,000 years. He is physically above all. But he should also be spiritually above all. Because who is he? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God and nothing was made without Him. He's the Creator. Psalms 8.1 tells us, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who has displayed your splendor above the heavens. I love some of these because anybody start to sing this? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the, all the earth, right? We've turned these into music because that's originally what they were. And when we think of God, we should think of him as above all because he is the creator of all. In Psalms 108, 3 through 5, another one of those wonderful songs, right? I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Right? For your, for your loving kindness is great above the heavens and your truth reaches the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and your glory above all the earth. You see, when we lose sight of the Creator, we lose sight of Jesus. Because He is the center of attention. He is above all things. Well, the next thing He tells us is that Jesus is certified truth. And that's in, in, depending on what translation you have in the Bible, but he says, he is truth. What he, what he has seen and heard and of what he testifies, no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has set his seal on this, that God is What? True. He's certified true. And do you realize what that certification is? What does it say is the certification? Those who believe. It's us. It's the church. It's people who believed in Jesus Christ that certifies that he's true. Because what happens when you get saved? God changes your life. You look at the old person... And you look at the new person. That's the certification that God stamps on each one of us that he is true. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, when we see the true thing, we know what is truth. And Jesus said, I am truth. So uh, anybody ever gotten a counterfeit bill? 
Never? Oh, we, I used to love to do counterfeit investigations. It's amazing. People, are, people are, will do some really interesting things. Well, you know how they train bank tellers to find counterfeits? What? Hold it up to the light. Okay. That's when, now that they have all those new little gadgets. But, in the, but before they put all of those, those, those little lines and stuff in there, they would, they would feel them. And what they would do is they wouldn't give them a counterfeit bill to feel. They would give them a real bill. And you could feel it, and you would know it was true. And so when they're handed a counterfeit bill, they're like going, wait a second. This doesn't feel right. It's not true. And then you begin looking at it, and you see, oh, well, look, here's, look at all these mistakes in these things. Very few counterfeit bills are very well done. Most of them are, are people do, and they do it on the wrong paper, and they do, and you can feel the difference. You see, when you find Jesus, you found the real thing. There's a lot of people out here will tell you, oh, come, you come to my religion. You come and, and we'll make you feel better, or, 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 or follow, follow this, or follow that. And when you come to Jesus, you go, wow, this is the real thing. This is the truth. John 8, 31 and 32, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do we need that today? Oh, man. I look around me and I see people that are just, they're hung up. They're, they're trapped. The, you know, my, that song, My Chains Are Gone. I've been set free. But they're wound up in the chains of sin and addiction and, and falsehood and money and success. And they're, they're just chained down to this world. And Jesus comes along and he says, my yoke is light. My burden is easy. And he sets them free. You know, if Jesus can set a slave trader free and allow him to write the words of amazing grace, he can set anybody free. He can make the blind see again, find the lost. He is such an amazing person, and he's certified as true. Well, John also tells us that one of the other things that Jesus does that certifies who he is as the Messiah is he gives us the Holy Spirit. For he who speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. He gives the Holy Spirit without measure. We limit ourselves so much because we don't tap into the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do 
in John 14, as, as he was talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, he says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The Holy Spirit, do you see in those few, these two verses here, how many different things the Holy Spirit does for you? Man, if you just took these two verses and said, God, pour, pour this into me. I will teach you all things. You pick up the Bible. And you're like going, I don't really understand it. Holy Spirit, please explain this to me. He brings back to remembrance. And we, you know, we memorize these verses every, every month, right? We get these verses and most people say, oh, it's so hard. But how many times have you been in a situation where one of these verses has popped up and you're like going, I don't remember where it was, but I remember what it said. And that verse pops up in your heart and you go, wow, thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing that back to my mind. You know, it's one of the, um, I'm one of these people, if I wake up in the middle of the night I automatically just start praying. And God will lay people on my heart and, and God will lay verses on my heart to pray for them. And I, so I begin to pray and, and pretty soon the devil puts me back to sleep. Because he doesn't want me praying. Right? But, but if we put these things, and he says the Holy Spirit will bring that to mind. You know, last year we learned 12 verses to lead somebody to Christ. And I encourage you to go back and go over those verses about once a week. Just pull them out and go back over them because there's going to come a time that somebody's going to say, well, why do you believe in this Jesus? Why is this important? I'm a good person. When somebody says they're a good person, have you ever sinned? Well, even a little sin? What does the Bible say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, we're all in the same boat. And the problem with sin is what? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit brings that to mind. Then look at this next part. Peace, I leave you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. The world doesn't know what real peace is, do they? The peace that passes all understanding that God can give you. You know, my mom just turned 89 this last week. I was, I was over to see her uh, yesterday, and we were sitting talking. And, and of course, you know, with, she was really concerned, you know, because her baby was in Hawaii and sick, and she couldn't bring him any soup. Right? And, you know, you would think somebody who's 89 years old, COVID would be a big, you know, oh, you know, you got to be 
She said, I'm not worried one iota. Because I know that God has numbered my days. And the day that he calls me home, it doesn't matter whether it's COVID or a car wreck or a heart attack or I just fall asleep in bed. God's going to call me home. He knows it. I don't have to worry. She has such peace. She's ready to go. Do not let your heart be troubled. I don't live in fear because I know my God has it all in control. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. He teaches us. In John uh, 16, he said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. She said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to work in each one of you every day, all day long. You don't have to worry about having to have the physical Jesus walking with you like these 12 did. And then in Ephesians 1, 3, Paul writes, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Now, we don't, do, we don't seal a lot of things anymore, do we? I mean, about the only time you do that is if you go to the notary, right? You, ever, you, have to, you go to the notary every once in a while because they have to say, it's, this is yours, and what do they do? They take a stamp and they go, boom. This is sealed. This is proof, proof, proof that this is who you say you are. In the old days, the kings would have a signet ring and when time would come to seal a document, they would take wax and they would drip it on and then they would seal it with their signet ring that nobody could open it. This is the king's seal. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Nobody can touch us. The Holy Spirit is there to take care of us until the day God calls us home to be with him. Well, the last thing that he talks about in verse 36. And he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Jesus gives us eternal life. Such an amazing thing, we can't even fathom it. You, you, it's hard to see, isn't it? It's hard to think, what is, what is this thing called eternal life? Because we're seeing it from a worldly perspective. We see it with our eyes from down here. But God sees it from what? In his perspective, eternity is both ways. He was with us the moment that we were conceived in our mother's womb, and he will be with us the moment we make the translation from this world to the next. Jesus gives us eternal life. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, he says, And the testimony is this, that God had, has given us eternal life, 
and the life is in his Son, and he who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. He says, and Jesus is eternal life. And we can have that. You know, I mentioned earlier that we have three people right now in hospice. You know, I, I don't know what it is, but we seem to do this in threes. Back in December, we had three that were in hospice at the same time. And you know, as I go and visit with them and as I sit beside their bedside, the one thing that I, that I see over and over again is peace. They're ready to go. Some of them wonder, God, why are you holding on? Why, why am I staying here so long? I'm ready to go. And when you sit beside them and you see the peace that comes because they know. And I firmly believe, I, I've been in enough situations that I firmly believe that they get a glimpse of heaven before they go. I will never forget the first time that I sat by somebody who was dying. That was my grandmother. She was up in Albany Hospital. She had a, her, she had a, a gallstone the size of a pear that burst when she got peritonitis. And uh, the doctor said, she's not going to make it. And they said, we want you to gather the family all around. And so the family all came and and we were, we were sitting there, and they <clears throat> removed everything, removed all the tubes and, and all of that. And, and they said, oh, she'll probably die within a couple minutes. And all of a sudden, Grandma's laying there, and I started to sing. And all the monitors just went, Really? calmed down and her face just eased and we were I was singing singing a hymn and an hour went by and half a dozen hymns later my brother joined me and my sisters joined me and my aunts and uncles joined me after about two hours we sat we were singing I'll never forget we were singing in the garden and I just watched her as she just very peacefully slipped into the arms of Jesus. Not one grimace on her face. She was ready. She was waiting. And I believe the Holy Spirit just said, okay, it's time. And the angels came and carried her into heaven. If anybody would ever tell me there is no eternity, I'd say, I don't believe you because I've watched it. I've watched it happen. And that is what makes Jesus who he is. He is the God that gives us eternal life. And that came on the cross.